What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday, I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry, where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go. Joining us from Sydney, Australia today is the founder and mastermind behind one of the most innovative marketing technologies in sports. He's the founder of Campaignware, a free platform that helps brands and rights holders by creating highly engaging digital interactive content that helps them grow their fan base, gather insights and activate their sponsors. They use quizzes, they use trivia, polling, surveys, user generated content and more. Everything at a low cost with no code required. Our guest has worked with many brands and sponsors such as the NRL, NBL, Rugby League World Cup, A-League, Western Bulldogs and many more. This episode will be packed with takeaways in digital marketing, social media and more. Ladies and gents, Adam Musa. <laughs> Hi, Ronald, how are you? The internet is a wild place. I mean, we are discussing here, we're in a Zoom call. You are in Australia. I'm in Mexico City, man. This is crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? It's really, really amazing. You know, when you just kind of realize how, yeah, just how close we are, but also how far we are. You know, it's um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, man, it is. And I'm happy that we're able to have internet now because we will be able to learn from you, from your experiences and from everything you've been building so far. But before that, I want to start our conversation off with a fun icebreaker. And I want to ask you, what, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, that's a hard question, you know. Um, look, if you if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably say mint choc chip. But yesterday <laughs> I did buy a, like we went to our local kind of gelato place and I bought a half tub of chocolate and also mango, which was just amazing. So I don't know, I might have a different choice today <laughs> to what I normally have. And it, it sounds like you are, you are a big fan of ice cream at least. So yeah, that's... I'd say so. I have a pretty bad sweet tooth. Yeah. Which is bad, you know, considering <laughs> in sport because you're not supposed to have sweets, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam, let's talk about let's talk about your journey as um, you know, developing campaignware. Yeah. Uh so so how about you just maybe take us back a few years uh when you just were only thinking about this and maybe tell the story from that point till the the moment you landed your first client. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go um, ahead. It's, it's a, for sure, it's a pretty interesting story actually. So My background is most kind of working in sort of digital agencies. Um, I had some pretty long stints as a product manager as well. So building technology has always been pretty, pretty second nature for me. Um, but it was sort of during my time at, when I was at an agency and specifically we were working with a few sporting clients um, and we kind of realized that, that um, there was starting to become this kind of emerging need for um, different types of you know, interactive kind of content and, and sort of gamified kind of campaigns. But the challenge that we always found was that um, it was really expensive to build because we'd have to build it from scratch every single time for every client. Even though we had a code base that we would you know, essentially kind of replicate in some ways, the actual design of it we'd have to do every single time. So it's very expensive and very time consuming for the clients. So we didn't have a great success rate, even though the products were really good and they were always well received and we hit the KPIs we're supposed to. 
So I pitched my boss at the time, um, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we actually turned this into a self-service tool? And we, you know, we essentially charged a fee and let the client do it themselves. And he said to me, no, I don't think there's a market in that really. <laughs> so I thought, okay, that's fine. Uh, and so we you know, kind of carried on. I sort of moved on uh, from there. And then a few years later, uh, just through sheer coincidence, like I wasn't even trying to do this. Um, one of our cli- one of the clients kind of came back to me and said, hey, do you remember those voting tools that you kind of created for us? Do you think you could do one of those again? Um, and I was working full time at the time. So I, I found a developer and we just said, hey, um, we can do this in time. I'm going to sell it, but you know, just, you know, and, and I know we can kind of do it. So we're going to do it. And he said, okay, fine. All right, let's do it. Um, so we kind of got our first client, which was, um, it was the Sporting News website. So sportingnews.com.au, uh, which is a worldwide sport website, but it was just the Australian version of that. So they were our, kind of our first client from that side where it, was, it wasn't even called. Um, so Campaignware is actually our second name. Our first name was actually Benchvote. Uh, which we only just rebranded about two months ago. Uh, that was even before that. It was just a piece of code flying, you know, in GitHub. Um, it just it, it didn't do anything else besides that. Our second client was the Rugby League World Cup, and that was kind of more because we already had some connections there in rugby league, and we didn't even charge them for it because we we applied for a New South we applied for a government grant to get the funding to be able to do it because we know that they wouldn't be able to pay for it. So we just said, all we need is your signature. Just um, you know, just kind of. Can you please do it? And we knew that we were going to have a great product for them and all that kind of stuff. And they were said, yep, happy to do it. Um, if it's a pilot free, if it's going to help. And it was a phenomenal success. It was all the way through the entire tournament, uh, 30 games or something like that, that they ran through and the, their engagement numbers were amazing. Our first actual paying client as Benchvote or well, what is now Campaignware was only a few months later, again, just a random call that I received one day from an AFL team said, hey, I saw the stuff that you did uh, for the Rugby League World Cup. Could you do this for us as well? And then from there, our product was born. We've turned it into a full self-service platform. And then from there, we were able to essentially build and build and build and build on it to what it is today, which is you know 50 plus templates from starting from only one. Um, yeah, so it was quite a quite a journey and it was a lot of serendipity and a lot of luck, I'd say. I can't take that much credit for it. No, I, I'm actually fascinated by the fact that it really snowballed into, you know, one thing took you to the next thing, to the next thing, and to the next client, yeah, and a couple yeah. of luck, you know, uh, happenings and serendipity, as you mentioned it. Uh, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like, how exactly did you come up with a business model or how exactly did you pivot it from ideas on how to charge for for this specific uh service did you th- did you at the beginning thought that this was actually something that uh you could charge for or you weren't so sure and and mm-hmm. that's why you tried maybe doing it for free or like just walk us through a little bit of how the business model came into yeah. into fruition and like gave it structure and everything. No problem. So we already knew that people would pay for it because we'd already experienced that. You know, well, I'd already experienced it because you know, essentially, it was my job to commercialize in the agency. So I already knew that people there was a market for it, but I didn't know how big the market would be. Uh, we didn't really have any competitors at the time. We didn't really have any um, any existing data or anything like that. So it was really just kind of a bit of finger in the air. And just sort of testing and learning, you know, putting up a price and seeing what people will pay for. Um, at the start, I know that we did keep our price a sort of artificially down because we wanted to, you know, achieve traction. So, you know, making the most amount of money was not the goal immediately. And uh, even now, you know, I'd say that our prices 
is still very reasonable because you know we're we're trying to build market share more than we're trying to um, you know ultimately um, trying to extract every penny out of our clients. It's not really how we do things. So um, we knew that there was already going to be a market for it. The thing that we didn't know uh, was just how big the market was, right? And and sport has been sort of an interesting. It's been a bit of a double edged sword for us where. Um, there are rights holders out there that will, you know, sort of that, that that are willing to kind of invest in digital marketing, um, you know, especially kind of digital content and campaign creation and things like that. Uh, the the big learning for us was that it's very sponsor led, um, you know, that, so that internally, I guess, resourcing wise, especially over here in Australia, resourcing is not that great in terms of you know kind of for rights holders and and for clubs. So it's really when a sponsor pushes for, you know, data acquisition and for building that, that you know, essentially their um, email list or uh, building the number of their, their database off the back of their sponsorship, that's when our product becomes, you know, basically invaluable and it becomes a must-have. So it's kind of interesting, you know, we, we, we're, I can't say that we're not still learning because we're definitely still learning every day, but um, yeah, there's been some things along the line. We just knew that we'd be able to commercialize it from day one though, so that was quite lucky. And basically, sponsors or brands pay per specific activation or specific like game that you create for them, or by user using it, or how how exactly? Great question. Uh, so we so we generally work directly with the rights holder. So we we generally mm. kind of talk directly to the to the partnerships team because we know that that's where we're going to have most luck. Uh, mm -hmm. Because chances are that, that the guys who are bringing money into the business, as opposed to the guys who are you know taking money out of well not taking money out of the business but spending money, uh, that they're more likely to want to you know essentially be able to provide more value to either from a retention point of view to keep their sponsors, or from a new commercialization and bringing new sponsors on board. So they're probably more willing and open to try new things. Whereas the marketing team, where you normally think something like this would work quite well. Uh, usually those are the guys that have the most amount of work to do. So giving them something new to do can sometimes be, whoa, 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 whoa. no thanks. You know, we've already got too much to deal with, you know, kind of thing. So um, sometimes that internal pressure can be really, really helpful um, you know, to be able to kind of do that. So generally to answer your question, how we normally work is that we'll normally talk to a partnerships, you know, sort of uh, either someone higher up or somebody who's kind of sort of midway um and just explain to them what we do take them through our case studies and examples and luckily you know we have a lot with some very very big brands you know all the way from like a ford to you know aia insurance and some really you know subway mcdonald's those sort of big brands we show them what we've done and we show them how simple it is to use and how easy and then sometimes you can just see the dollar signs in their eyes saying wow i can use this for this brand i can use this for this brand i can use this for this brand and then it kind of sells itself right Uh, that's not always the case, but that's always, you know, when we have the most luck, when they just know that their sponsors are already asking for some of this stuff. And here's a really easy way that they can do it where it's cheap enough. They don't even have to necessarily ask that boss to do it. They can just stick it on a credit card and off they go. So the one thing that we've kind of learned here is that, um, and especially for, I think for, a, for a tech company and a small one like ours, it's easier to, you know, essentially make it as easy as possible for them to say yes. Uh, because you have to remember that these guys, that they're, they're, they're very time poor. They've got a lot of things on their plate and the time is only becoming less available. So the easier you can make it for them, the better it's going to be for you ultimately. Um, you know, and if that means you doing the work for them, which we did when we first started, but now we've made our product good enough that you know, they can actually do it themselves and they can just literally duplicate the work that they've done before. So it actually even saves them more time than having to speak to us. Um, just mm -hmm. things like that can be really, really useful. Let's dive a little bit deep on how 
those sports properties or brands mm -hmm. or sponsors can really understand their audience or their fan base better what are some of the elements that you can think about or if you're say you're explaining it to me um how exactly me as a as halftime snacks podcast how can i understand my audience better and, or my fan base or my listeners better yeah for sure any digital property or even any any brand you can think of if you've got a social media profile or if you've got an yeah if you've got a social media profile chances are that you know very very little about any of those people right if you're promoting your your stuff through social media then uh, chances are you have no idea who that name email address um, they're just very anonymous stats that facebook will give you unless you use advertising to essentially pay for that data right So ultimately what we do and the easiest way that we can kind of explain it is that we convert that audience that lives on your social media accounts that you have no idea who they are. We turn them into essentially hard data. So name, phone number, email address, um, and then even, you know, kind of additional sort of fields and additional data fields that you may ask. You know, for example, like with some of the Ford campaigns that we ran with one of our AFL clients, they wanted to know what type of car do they drive? They wanted to know, you know, are they in the market for a car? Are they, do they buy their cars new and secondhand? So you're using the process of gamification and digital content almost as like the Trojan horse to actually kind of get under the skin of the, of the fan. Because most fans, and you'll know this yourself, I know that I certainly am, we're pretty allergic to filling out forms. We're pretty allergic to giving data away because we know why we're doing it, right? We're all pretty smart now. So doing it this way, you're creating an authentic, community, you know, kind of connection with that fan, right? You're getting them to vote on the man of the match, or you're getting them to predict the starting 11 for the next, you know, Chelsea game or something along those lines. There's a connection there that's happening. So by doing that, you actually kind of get under their skin a little bit and they're very happy to give you their data, which is why our conversion rates are so high and why our product performs so well, because it, it kind of becomes second nature. They don't even know why they're giving you that data. They know that they are, and it's very GDPR compliant, all that kind of stuff. But It feels like it's part of the process, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, um, there are a couple of different reasons why our product works so well. There's a lot of marketing science behind it, but that's kind of one of the main reasons why it does. And, you know, putting in perspective that you worked before uh, in a digital marketing agency and that you, you had a couple of ideas or uh, thoughts about how brands should understand um, their, their followings and their audiences, I wonder if there's anything that changed your mind once you started um, uh, Campaign Where that you thought was true, but then you were like, mm, probably it's not so true, or this is actually different, or uh, or knowing specific things about the audience. Like, I'm gonna just throw an example, mm. but maybe just by knowing the name, the the not the name, but the the age. Man, that's super important. So I wonder if there's anything that specific that you can share with us about thought, things you thought were useful yeah. or things you thought were not useful and then you were you changed your mind once you you developed the campaign where oh you know that there have been probably too many to mention <laughs> um you know you, you you learn stuff every day right and, and i think that that's really important you know that if you're not learning new things every day about your customers and also you know the people that you're ultimately trying to service because because our product's unique ultimately we sell it to a business And then they use it for their fans who, you know, are not in business. It's yeah. like B2B to C if you want to think of it that way. But we don't make any money from the fans, right? So it's kind of interesting in the way that, that, that we're sort of used. Um, the one that does come to mind was, I guess, kind of what I was mentioning beforehand about just who our customers were. 
that was probably the biggest learning. Like in terms of the product, I think that we were fairly correct in our initial sort of hypothesis of if you give the fan a great experience and you don't make it hard for them in terms of, you know, fill out this form and then you can vote or then you can play the game or whatever, yeah. that stuff never works. And that's why people, that's that's actually probably where most people fail, right? Is because they- Like transactional, you mean? Um, I, I mean, so you, I'm sure you've probably entered competitions before as well where you've got to register your details and then you can yeah. play the game. We do it the complete opposite way. Play the, the other way. And then give your details. And by doing it that way, your conversion mm. rates are actually higher. It's kind of counterintuitive. So so you feel like you already received, so you don't matter leaving your exactly. details afterwards. That's exactly right. Um, and but then but then I also feel like it it hooks you, but it also like kind of like already leaves you no choice, right? Because you already like you already received value in a way. So then you you have to like you feel like you have to. You no? feel more compelled to. That's exactly right. There's a little yeah. bit of a psychological element to it, right? And 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 that's that's actually what we kind of trade on, if you want to think of it that way, which is that yes. Because you've given value, I think that, that we're more intrinsically inclined to be able to deliver value as well for that person. So that's actually how we've built our product. Mm. Um, so we, uh, that was a kind of a, a very much a guiding hypothesis for when I built the product. And it's actually wrong true. It's been 100% consistent since the day that we started. Oh, yeah. There have been features and things like that that we've built along the way that we thought would be useful, but didn't end up being quite as useful. Um, for example, like some lead tracking technologies and things like that, which are, which will be more, which were very useful, but with GDPR and kind of, you know, the, the, the cookie-less future, it's going to become harder to yeah. do that sort of stuff. So we're figuring out, you know, what comes next. The big thing yeah. for us though in the business was really just understanding who our customer actually was. That that piece mm -hmm. that I told you earlier about, you know, it actually being our sponsorship, the, the, you know, the sponsorship team, I never expected that to be the case. Um, it was only when we started talking to people that, They said, hey, you know, especially when we started talking to digital marketing managers uh, first, they said, hey, it's not going to be for me, but why don't you talk to the sponsorship guy over here? And, I, you know, my initial yeah. thought was, this is going to be a waste of time. Uh, but turned out that he just said, wow, we've got this brand, this brand, this brand, and this brand, we want to use it. How much? You know, and, and that was it. So honestly, that was the biggest change. So knowing exactly who your customer is inside, The, the organization was was a was a life changer for me. Um, it, it literally, you know, we probably wouldn't be here if we hadn't figured that out so quickly. Um, it was it was a real game changer for us. Um, I wanna I wanna double click on the fact that you mentioned that kind of like reg regulatory systems around uh, like ads and stuff are changing GDPR. Yeah, We've seen Apple change their politics, and man, uh, Snapchat and all these like advertising companies. Uh, companies like Facebook that sell ads drop like significantly in the in in the public markets. Um, I wonder what do you expect of the future of digital marketing and social media and and really you know knowing and understanding your audience. Is there a specific like idea like like future that you see and that and that it is it 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 is helping you uh, build and develop camping where towards that is there something that you can share with us maybe um ideas or or things you see happening yeah. already yeah definitely uh i i i think now it's fairly obvious that sort of you know the cookie apocalypse it's here and it, it's not it's not even something we're talking about it's something that's happened and, and, and we're less, not right? talking so, about the cookies that you eat <laughs> no <laughs> definitely not because that would be really sad <laughs> i think 
cookies for marketing purposes, I think, you know, we can, you know, <laughs> the general public will let that one slide, right? It's like, I don't care. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, sort of tracking people by cookies and technologies like that, um, that that's finished, I think. Um, they, you know, as as marketers, we're very good at coming up with new ways to do the same thing that we did, you know, even a few years ago. So there's going to be something new. What that is yet, I don't really know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure something will come over and replace it. Uh, the thing that we've always done, and I think the, the the truest thing that I can probably say about this is that we've always told our customers, if you want data, ask for it, right? There is no truer data that you'll be able to get than just asking for the data and letting that person give you their data, right? Um, because it's going to be the truest form of it. Um, so ultimately, what we've what, what we've always kind of built again, our you know our product and our sort of guiding principles around is that if you give that person a great experience, they're going to give you their data. And again, you know, that, that example that I gave you with Ford before they captured all of this information on people, you know, what type of car they drove, what whether they were in the market to buy a new car, how often they buy it, um, and you know, whether they buy cars new and secondhand. They did that off the back of a man of the match vote. Like, you know, it's just unbelievable data that they were getting for their dealers. And it was of something so simple as that. And people were giving them their data and the conversion rates were so high, 60% plus we're talking that's because you build a relationship with people and they'll give it to you. So to me, I feel that the tech technology is good and that's fine, but there's a simpler way to do it. It's just ask them, give them, you know, give them a reason to give you that data. If you have a reason to give, you know, a brand that data, you'll give it to them. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure you filled out lots of forms and things like that in the past when you knew you were going to get something for it. Same, same here. Right. Um, so we should stop trying to be too smart and stop trying to outsmart people. And I think we should just start to actually lean in and say, if I'm going to give you something of value. I know you'll give it to me too. Uh, and that's kind of the way that I see it. It's a bit, you know, sort of soapbox, but um, in terms of a bit preachy, but um, that's really how I think that, that, that it should be. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it a lot because I feel like it combines uh, transparency, which is a key element of the future of, of that. And also it, it, it combines like creative, finding creative routes of asking for those uh types of data points that will help us understand their audience so uh it, it sounds fun it sounds interesting it sounds like campaignware has a bright future ahead of it and adam it's it's uh it's great to hear you talk about it and with such passion and with such uh interest around it that i'm sure that it's going to be a pure success man um i have one last question for you maybe a more personal one and i and i want to know uh what is something you wish you do in the next two years You know, up until last year, uh, our biggest goal was to try and get into the Premier League and try and work with a Premier League team. And we actually did that this year. So now now for me, you know, my my favorite sport is Formula One and it has been since I was a child. So that's my big goal is uh, I want to I want to break I want to get into a Formula One team and hopefully it's McLaren because McLaren is my team. So uh, I can get there. Then I'll say, okay. I've ticked off all of my bucket list. Now it's just about making money. <laughs> right? Now I'm just going to make money because I've kind of achieved everything that I want to achieve in terms of, you know, like kind of having the star power. Uh, but yeah, for me, that, that, that'd be really great. Um, cracking into the US market, I think is really kind of key. Um, we have, we have worked with some US rice holders and that kind of thing, but uh, being able to do a bit more of that. Um, and then even working directly with brands, um, we're taking a slightly different approach to that because we, 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 you know, we have, we have looked pretty closely at working directly with brands, 
Um, so actually kind of being able to find un- sort of more and more unique ways to be able to you know, sort of engage with, with people's audience and, and ultimately make rights holders' lives easier because it's a really hard job to have. People don't realize it, but working in a rights holder is not easy. So we want to make their lives as easy as it can be. You speak with all your purpose in, in your words and I love that. I, I recognize and I respect that, Adam. I can't thank you enough for coming to the Halftime Snacks and enjoying You know, this conversation, although all the way from Sydney, Australia to Mexico City, man, it's insane what the Internet can do. And I'm happy we were able to do this, man. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.